And we're back with another episode of Sustainably Speaking. Welcome. I'm your host, Joshua Baca. Today is a special episode. We've spoken to so many extraordinary people working diligently to make sustainable change, each with an important perspective on how we create a world with less plastic waste. Today, we'll talk about how to turn this advice into action, ideas into innovation, and our practical solutions into policy. So we're diving into how national legislation can help accelerate a circular system that keeps materials in use longer. More specifically, earlier this year, America's plastic makers drafted a set of recommendations for Congress that will accelerate sustainable change on a national scale and help keep used plastics out of our landfills, waterways, and environment where it doesn't belong. So let's welcome our guest today, Chris John, President and CEO of the American Chemistry Council, and Laura Chamorro, General Manager of Polyethylene at Shell Polymers. They'll help us discuss a new legislative proposal aimed at increasing circularity and helping end plastic waste. Chris is the Chief Advocacy Officer for ACC, and Laura is leading an ambitious project in Pennsylvania to launch a state-of-the-art facility that will supply modern plastic materials needed to go into a variety of goods. Chris, can you tell us a little bit first off about your role at ACC and maybe explain to our listeners what the American Chemistry Council is? Sure. And thanks for having me, Joshua. A longtime listener, first-time guest. I'm the uh, CEO of the American Chemistry Council, and we represent manufacturers of chemicals and plastics that are every size and shape and represent the entire breadth and depth of the industry both from international global players and names that you would recognize, like Shell, to small family-owned organizations that have one facility in one place in the United States. So our members are all about creating the innovations that solve some of the biggest problems that we have, and I'm excited to talk to you about that today. That's great. And Chris, we're so excited that you're on to talk with us. Laura, can you tell us a little bit about Shell Polymers and its mission? Sure. Thanks, Joshua. We're building a state-of-the-art polyethylene plant and polymers business in Western Pennsylvania. It'll leverage feedstock and customer proximity to deliver differentiated supply chain flexibility and reliability. It's our mission to support our customers who make the products that you and I use every day and that really support the standard of living that we know. The business is really critical to supporting Shell's energy transition because, as you know, polymers are critical enablers in renewable energy. We also have a purpose in our community. The construction has employed over 8,000 workers at peak, and upon completion, will employ over 500 workers, bringing new economic opportunity to Beaver County, formerly or perhaps still known as the Rust Belt. 2022 will be a really big year for us as our pellet production begins and we enter the North American market. That's great. And maybe we can start off with some table setting here. Chris, at ACC, sustainability drives a lot of our work in the advocacy space. Can you tell our listeners what sustainability means to you and to ACC overall? So it's a really interesting question, and I know you get some diverse and insightful answers to that. But to me, it means helping our members create the future for the chemical and the plastics industry. And how do we help our members operate sustainably in the future? So we at ACT right now, we've got five work streams uh, that are addressing that challenge on water, air, climate, product safety, and circularity. 
and we're helping our members examine how they can continuously improve in their manufacturing operations, as well as how do they continue to innovate in these areas and provide solutions to the world's biggest challenges. And you can't solve those challenges without the business of chemistry. And so that's, that's what excites me about this job, and it makes it a joy to work for our members. And Laura, what about you? How has sustainability helped guide your work at Shell Polymers, and what does sustainability mean to you? Well, at Shell, our view of focusing on and also advancing in sustainability, it's really part of our license to operate. So this is a critical foundation of all that we do, and particularly in the polymers business, it's one that we know as a new entrant, we can really be a part of the future not having the past. And so for me, sustainability is about stewardship in the environment, both for me as an individual, as a leader of a community, and also being a part of this industry. I think of the phrase, leave no trace for those who do hiking or outdoor adventures. The human population can't truly leave no trace on the planet, but it's about being a good steward and reducing the amount of natural resources that we use, reducing waste, and making the best use of the resources that we have. And I think that's what both Shell and ACC is is trying to do and trying to lead the way for future generations in manufacturing and for us as a society. And Laura, that is an excellent uh, segue. You talk a little bit about reducing waste and The issue of plastic in the environment is of critical importance to our members. Chris, both you and Laura know we're working to both advance work that our members are doing in technology innovation, supporting private sector investments and public policy to make these things a reality. And this summer with our members, we announced five actions for sustainable change, which is a national plan to tackle plastic waste in the environment. And Chris, maybe you can kick us off here and explain to our listeners a little bit what is included in this plan and why does it matter? Let me take the second part first, Joshua. Why does it matter? You know, according to the EPA right now, only 9% of recyclable plastics are actually recycled. So most of them end up in landfills or worse, some of that ends up in the environment. And to us, that's just unacceptable. And that's the reason we've laid out a new federal policy vision, as you said, which outlines an effective path forward to ending plastic waste in the environment and also combating climate change. So we've got five key actions in that proposal. First is to require a 30 by 30 national recycled plastic standard. What that would do is require all plastic packaging to include at least 30% recycled content by 2030. And then the second piece of that would create a modern regulatory system that enables rapid scaling of advanced recycling while continuing to grow mechanical recycling. The third piece is develop national recycling standards for plastics. This would go to direct the EPA and the Department of Energy to bring together the plastic value chain and municipalities and everybody involved in this work to develop a national recycling framework. That's really important. The fourth piece is to engage the National Academy of Sciences to conduct a study that compares the impact of a variety of raw materials and use those findings to guide policy going forward. And then the last piece, also really important, would establish an American design producer responsibility system for packaging to help increase recycling access, collection, and outreach for all materials, including plastics. And Laura, Shell in particular was a very important thought leader in helping develop this vision. Can you tell our listeners why this is important and why it is critical we rally support around this proposal? 
Yeah, so I think the most important thing is plastics in the environment are truly unacceptable, and we all believe that. But also disposing of plastic in landfills is a tremendous waste of resources. On the other hand, plastics are really fantastic materials for their functionality and durability, so we need to find ways to leverage those superior properties while reducing waste and the environmental impact of waste. Plastics are a part of society and should be part of society when we look at the full picture of material selection and carbon impact and the needs of society. I think what's so important about the federal policy vision that Chris just talked about is the fact that it really brings together all of these different aspects of delivering on the 30 by 30, because those sorts of recycled content ambitions within a timeline, but without the enablers, is, is really almost an empty promise. So I think what's so important is that it does expand our scope of traditional recycling to include advanced recycling, which is largely an untapped resource of circularity today. But it also goes further to bring along national recycling standards and really trying to connect the ends of what today is largely a linear value chain. So bringing the waste piece back as a resource to creating new materials. And it's all done while trying to encourage investment and development to make the entire value chain work together and move in a synchronous fashion forward. And it's all done while also keeping an eye on carbon, which is another critical component of sustainability. And we spend a lot of time here at the American Chemistry Council thinking about these issues in the context of advocacy. And maybe we can pivot a little bit and talk about it in a business context. Chris, maybe you can take this one on. How is addressing the issue of plastic waste and driving sustainability across our entire industry not only good for the environment, but good for business? As I said before, and Laura said it as well, is that plastic waste does not belong in the environment. It also has a significant climate benefit. And we know from numerous studies that the greenhouse gas emissions associated with it are, in some cases, four times less than competing products. So Doing something about the environment, addressing the plastic waste issue can be done while at the same time creating a market opportunity, which is out there right now. So, for example, McKinsey has said that just in the recycling plastic packaging space, that's a uh, business opportunity of up to $4 billion per year. And so you're seeing so many of our members make significant investments. I think, Joshua, at this point, it's somewhere over $6 billion worth of announced investments in this space because there's an opportunity to do well in a business sense while also doing good for the environment. And Laura, a second ago, you mentioned the idea of a linear value chain and, you know, our efforts more broadly to think about this from a circular perspective. How does Shell Polymers think about circularity from a business perspective? And and what are you all doing to advance that? You asked earlier about what this means for us working to put this vision out. And even before the creation of the vision, Shell had committed to using a million metric tons of plastic waste as feedstock in our chemical plants by 2025. And actually, we're already doing this today. So we are taking plastic waste and using it as feedstock in our Louisiana operations today. Also, very recently, we announced a strategic partnership with Blue Out to develop, scale, and deploy Blue Out's advanced recycling technology. This investment in technology and recycled feedstock capacity will enable Shell to progress against its plastic waste as feedstocks 
in Europe and in Asia. So this is something that has been on Shell's mind for a long time, and our polymers division is acutely aware of the environmental impact of plastic waste, and we're committed to solving it. And it shows in not only the commitments that we've made, but also the progress, the investment in technology, and the actions that we're taking. Chris, do you care to comment on Shell's efforts to already use 1 million metric tons of waste as feedstock, and why is that significant? It's significant because, again, it shows that there's a market for this, and Shell certainly leading in this space, but they're by far not the only people doing that. And we've got a number of members who've made significant investments, as I said before. And those folks are having some commercial scale facilities come online right now and will do so in the future. So while they're showing a great deal of leadership right now, they're far from alone in that. And I think as we talk about federal policy here, one of the things we're focused on is how do we create the framework in which that can scale and grow quickly? and tackle this challenge as quickly as we can. Hi, during this short break, I want to encourage you to visit americasplasticmakers.org and download our new policy vision for accelerating a circular economy for plastics. Leaders from across our industry are united to propose a federal path forward that will help move our nation towards a more sustainable future. Now back to the show. Let's kind of dive into the area of technology a little bit. Laura talked a little bit about some of their partnerships right now going on. How significant is it, the issue of partnerships to advance the technology efforts needed at a commercial scale to solve the waste problem? Solving the problems of plastic waste, of recycling carbon and the environment must be an effort between industry experts, scientists, policymakers, brand owners, retailers. It's going to have to include everyone. And I expect and I hope that with this policy vision, what that does is start to lay the framework for how that happens. Because today, if you look across, whether it's private, local, state, federal policies that have been either enacted or that have been proposed, while I totally recognize that it's something, there's something being proposed in action, attempted What it doesn't do is bring together the entire value chain in a synchronous fashion that's really going to move the needle. And so whether it's technology and the value chain around waste management, waste collection, advanced recycling, manufacturing innovations in order to reduce carbon emissions or increase the amount of advanced recycled material that can be consumed, all of those things are going to take collaboration from the full value chain to deliver that. And Along with that is going to come this requirement for a learner's mindset and employing perhaps technologies that come from other industries or in other spaces that we haven't ever used before. And that's what happens with some of the world's biggest problems. We're not going to solve it alone. Chris, any thoughts on the importance of partnership in the technology space? I think that what Laura said was spot on in terms of bringing the entire value chain together. No one portion of it is going to solve the problem by itself. And in fact, to do this on the scale that we need to do it quickly, we need that among a number of partners going forward. And again, I know I'm the policy guy, but I'm going to keep beating that drum. The fact is we need policy to enable that to happen. And that's why I'm pushing so hard for a national standard rather than thousands of municipalities doing things differently on their own. It's going to make it much easier to bring these partners together if we're all singing out of the same choir book. 
Obviously, a big piece of our plan has centered around the idea of recycling, both mechanical and advanced recycling. What do you both say to the naysayers who say recycling is broken and hasn't worked? Joshua, I'll jump in on that one real quickly. So, you know, there's a product that some people of a certain age be familiar with called the Apple Newton. And you, you wouldn't have the iPod or the iPhone if you didn't have the Apple Newton. But the Newton wasn't a successful product, right? And you can look at a variety of different industries where the original rollout of technologies did not succeed, but ultimately it led to the success of the follow-on product. And I think that's where we are in advanced recycling. And this new environmental technology that we've got available to us is really a game changer as far as addressing this plastic waste issue going forward. So mechanical recycling is absolutely necessary to solve this problem, but it is not going to get us all the way to where we need to be. But advanced recycling, bringing those new technologies is going to enable us to tackle this problem, that technology available to us now, and we need to scale it in order to solve the problem going forward. Laura, what about you? What do you say to the to the naysayers who say recycling is broken? You know, I think in some regards, we haven't given it a real fair chance. Mechanical recycling has had its place in the market and is an important solution to providing circularity in certain segments. But even back to the national recycling standards, we haven't had that. And that has left a gap in that circular value chain, even with mechanical recycling. And so now with advanced recycling, it enables us where there were materials that we couldn't previously recycle using traditional methods. And similarly, there were applications which couldn't use mechanical recycled materials. It was not a fit due to quality or the type of contact or properties that were going to be needed for those materials. So there have been gaps all along in in the value chain to really enabling that to scale to a far greater level. And I think what this federal policy vision is it connects all of those pieces and starts to close the gap in areas where we haven't been as successful with mechanical recycling or perhaps the broader recycling effort as we would like and as a society we need to achieve our ambitions. And what about to the naysayers also who may just advocate for banning plastics altogether? Is that even realistic? We're going to have 30% more people on Earth by 2050. So that means our water needs are going to go up 40%, our food needs are going to go up 50%. And to be able to achieve that without plastic is not possible. So what we need to do instead is solve the problem. And the problem is plastic waste in the environment. And that we agree on. We're all in alignment on that. So the question then is, okay, how do we best do that? And I think Laura's done a really nice job of explaining how her company is leading the charge in that. And it needs a variety of technologies, mechanical recycling, advanced recycling. We need the value chain working together. We need the policy that brings that all together and makes it all possible. So I'd rather focus on solutions that can actually happen rather than fighting on things that aren't realistic or are not possible going forward. And I also think that plastics are a really important contributor to sustainability. And I know some that might draw some attention, but it's important that when we look at material selection, whether it's for packaging or for other products that we use in our everyday life, they are contributing to advancing sustainability because plastics are the materials that are used in insulation and transportation in order to lightweight and actually reduce our energy consumption. Plastics have a place in packaging for extending the life of those foods that all of our growing population needs. 
we've got to look at carbon impact and at material selection on a much broader scope when we think about what's really right for sustainability and for our future as consumers. And I think plastics are absolutely a part of that future. Chris, and maybe as a specific follow-up to you, as you know, some lawmakers right now are calling for taxes on plastic to fund other spending priorities. How will such a regressive tax impact those families who can least afford increased costs for everyday goods? Yeah, so a resin tax, which is currently being considered on Capitol Hill right now, is incredibly regressive. And what that means is, is an excise tax at the point of production, we're already dealing with surging inflation in this country right now. And this 26% increase in the cost of plastic would make that that much worse. And so the folks in the lowest income levels who could least afford to have their school lunches cost more, everything you can think of kind of across the board that has plastic components would cost more. And it would be, for those who least are able to afford it, a challenging situation. And frankly, from a political point of view, President Biden has been really clear that he doesn't want to raise taxes on people who make less than $400,000. So let me be clear about that. The resin tax currently being considered in Congress absolutely would raise taxes on people who make significantly less than $400,000. Laura, anything you would like to add to that proposal or comments on that proposal? Yeah, I think when we think about some of the initial proposals that have been put out, not just this one specifically around the tax on plastic, but even other bans can actually sometimes result in substitutions, which are ultimately negative impacts on carbon and on overall sustainability. So it's often that the outcome is not quite as clear as initially seems. And I think without a really comprehensive approach, which we talked about earlier around these five elements which bring together recycling, advanced recycling, the infrastructure to support that, the recycled content targets without a fully comprehensive approach like that, we're just not going to make the progress that we're aiming for. And instead, ultimately, this is just a revenue maker as opposed to really solving the problem that we're trying to with plastics. So let's kind of take this up to a 50,000-foot level. Chris, if you were in a room and you had 30 seconds to tell uh, NGO why our proposal is important, what would you say to them? I would say if you're really serious about solving this problem, then we ought to work together to see what we can do to end plastic waste in the environment and, as Laura has very ably pointed out, protect the climate. And those are things that supposedly everybody is for, right? Everybody's for action on climate, for action on infrastructure. And having a smart policy here can make all those things happen. And Laura, just a slightly different take on that. You're in a room with a lawmaker and you had 30 seconds to explain to them the importance of our proposal. What would you say? I think this proposal is the most comprehensive and at the same time aggressive, but pragmatic approach to really closing the gaps in the value chain that we have historically dealt with that have led to these problems that are on the forefront of all of our minds, not just legislators and and material producers, but us as consumers as well. And this is truly a comprehensive roadmap for us to make a synchronous step forward. And I think that's what's been holding us back is that these individual local state 
even private ambitions are asynchronous. And as a result, we're just not going to make the progress. So let's all get together and use this as a roadmap to build the future. And to kind of maybe bring this home a little bit, we all got kids on this call. We're all working to make the world a better place for them. Laura, what inspires you daily to tackle these challenges head on and build a more sustainable future for our children? You know, this has always been an ambition for me. This is one of the reasons that I'm a part of this industry and why I was interested in science, even as a kid, was to be a part of the solutions that would create a lasting future for future generations as well. And, you know, like you said, I've got children of my own and I want them as they get older to look back on what I've done with pride, as opposed to thinking that I've done something wrong by the world. And so I hope that the efforts that I've taken here will show them that science and engineering and manufacturing are able to promote circularity, sustainability, and all of those things that actually will leave a better world than what I came into, you know, when I started my career at one point. And I hope that it's something that they'll also want to be a part of. And that's what leads me into each of these conversations about how to be good stewards as manufacturers, uh, even as a consumer. And that's the best example I can set probably. And Chris, what inspires you daily to help guide our industry overall on building a more sustainable future? I think, as Laura said, the idea is a parent to leave the world at least a little bit better than the way you found it is something that uh, you can be excited about and get you out of bed in the morning. And at ACC, the, the ability to impact an entire industry that is so crucial in tackling some of these global challenges that we have, again, water, air, climate, product safety, circularity. There's so many things that we're doing as an industry that are going to make the world a better place. And it's just super excited to work with really smart people like Laura to tackle these challenges. And I'm really optimistic about our future because of that. With that, uh, Laura, Chris, any final thoughts? Joshua, I'd just say appreciate Laura's leadership and all of our members, again, and trying to make the world a better place, solving the world's challenges, uh, improving our climate, eliminating plastic waste. And I'm excited to work with them every single day. Yeah, and thanks for letting me join, Joshua. I think this is a great opportunity for us to talk about our collective vision about how to solve some of these really huge problems that are going to take a learner's mindset and really bringing together the best of society's thinkers to come up with a roadmap that will serve us for generations to come. That's great. Laura, Chris, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainably Speaking. And a huge thank you to Chris and Laura for joining us. Please leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to spread the word about the Sustainably Speaking podcast with your friends or colleagues. We'll be back in your podcast feed with a new episode in two weeks. Until then, I look forward to Sustainably Speaking again soon. Sustainably Speaking.